And guys, it's, it's not just a, a phrase that we say around here, but truly your story matters. And I know there's countless people maybe in this room or watching online that have a story just like Rob. And we appreciate uh, anytime somebody steps up and says, hey, this is my story and this is how God has redeemed my life. And so, hey, we're really glad that you guys are here today. Uh, hopefully you're excited to be here too. Uh, wanna say welcome to any of you joining us for the very first time, or if this is your first time in a long time, uh, wanna say welcome back. Uh, my name is Josiah, and I have the opportunity to be one of the pastors here at Trace. And you're joining us on a really good week uh, because we're continuing on in this series uh, called The Story, where over the course of 32 weeks, uh, we're looking at the major themes and stories of Scripture to understand God's story a little bit better so that we can understand a little bit better how we fit into it. And over the course of this series, uh, Pastor Aaron, he's challenged each and every one of us with four things to be more engaged. And so those four things are these right here. Uh, the first one is to bring a physical Bible. And so hopefully you brought a physical Bible. We have some in the back for any of you that need a Bible or don't have a Bible. Uh, you can take one of those home with you. Uh, the second thing on there is to open up your Bible uh, in your home, uh, that we want you in God's word every single day, not just on Sundays when you come here to church, but also during the week. And then the third thing is to bring a journal. Be ready to take notes. Uh, that hopefully you learned that last week that you know we wanna take notes and everything like that. But then the fourth thing is to join a story group. And if you don't know what these are or you're new to Trace, this is a community of other people uh, that you can go and participate in where we dive a little bit deeper on the topics that we talk about every single week. But then also you just get to grow the community that you have here, that we hope these feel like miniature families uh, for you. And we make new groups, open new groups every single week. And so if you're on the app, go ahead, check out a story group, check out those groups, find a group that works for you. We'd love for you to be in one of those. Um, but we don't just want this to be another series we go through as a church. Uh, we don't just want this to be another topic that we talk about. We really do want this to be a journey, uh, an experience that all of us together get to be on. And so last week, Pastor Aaron, he kicked this thing off by talking about three rebellions uh, that we see early on in scripture that impact us even today. And today we're gonna pick up kind of where he left off. And so if you're new to the church or new to reading the Bible, what I wanna do really quick is I just wanna summarize kind of where we're at in the story, okay? And so in the beginning, there was this character and his name is God. And God is all powerful, he's all knowing, and he creates the entire universe. He creates everything that we see, everything that we feel, everything that we sense. And in that creation, he also created mankind. He created Adam and Eve, and for a time, they got to exist with God, and they got to be in his physical presence. But eventually, mankind would rebel against God. And by doing so, they would invite sin into this world. And with sin came death and suffering and sickness and pain and all the evil things that we experience today, it came along with sin. And so God banishes humankind from his presence. And by doing so, evil becomes more and more prevalent that people begin to lie and manipulate each other. They begin to cheat and to murder. They begin to abuse and abandon the very God that created them. And what was once a paradise for people, it eventually became a problem, and a pretty big problem at that. So much so that God says this about his creation in Genesis chapter six. He says, 
the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I'm gonna wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them, the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I've made them. And to be clear this morning, that regret, it's not God saying, oh, I made an error in judgment or oh, I made a mistake, let me address that. It is God referencing the grief and the sadness that he feels by seeing all the evil that humanity has caused. That he looks at all of his creation and God, this is God being heartbroken at what has happened to what he's made. And so because of that, God, he wants a fresh start. God wants a clean slate. He wants to push the reset button. And so he goes uh, to a guy named Noah and he says, here's what I want you to do, Noah, is I'm gonna tell you how, but I want you to build this giant boat. And on this boat, I'm gonna have you and your family go aboard this boat and I'm gonna send you a bunch of animals that you put on the boat as well. And while you're on the boat, I'm gonna send this apocalyptic flood and it's gonna wipe everything out, all living creatures, everything but whatever is on this boat. And so that's what happens. About a year passes, this flood comes and eventually the flood subsides and Noah and his family, they get off the boat And God pulls Noah aside and he says, look, I wanna make you a promise. The Bible calls it a covenant. And he says, I'm never gonna do that again. Never gonna wipe out everything. I'm never gonna like start fresh. Instead, I'm gonna start using you uh, to eventually bring about my plan for redemption. I'm gonna use you and others to eventually bring about redemption and make things right again that humans got wrong. And that's kind of where our story picks up today that several generations have passed at this point, and God goes to another man named Abram. He's also called Abraham in the Bible. And so you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna hear me go back and forth. He actually has a name change halfway through his story, but for simplicity, I'm just gonna call him one or the other. It's the same guy, okay? Uh, but God, he takes Abraham and he says, look, uh, I want to bless you. And he's gonna make this commitment to Abraham. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn them open, turn them on. We're gonna be in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, It'll also be on the screens, but this is what God says to him. Once again, he's gonna bless him. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing that I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And I don't know about you, but if I were to hear that blessing from God, I would be like, awesome, (laughs) right? Like, sign me up, that sounds great. You're gonna bless me, okay. You know, you're gonna make me famous, that sounds great. Oh, you're gonna give me my own country, perfect, right? And you're gonna take care of all the people who try to hurt me or my family, even better. Like, this story would kill at dinner parties, right? Like, God God chose me to save the world, right? Like, this, this is a big deal, that God is making this huge commitment to Abram. He's making this huge commitment that he says, I want to bless you, but this commitment, as we're gonna see, it's gonna come with a cost. That over the course of Abraham's life, God is gonna ask him to give up three different things. And what did I wanna do this morning with the rest of our time is just look at those three moments that happened back then to see how they can impact and influence our life today. Because the first thing that God is gonna ask Abram to give up is his comfort, his comfort. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 12, verse one, right before uh, he blesses him, he asks him to give up his comfort. This is what he says. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, from your people, and from your father's household to the land that I will show you. And at first glance, you may be like, what does that have to do with his comfort? Let me talk about that. 
So after I graduated uh, college, I had the opportunity to move up to Indianapolis with my wife, Jessica, uh, to go work at a church up there. And it really was a great experience uh, for the both of us. But probably the best thing about this job, one of the coolest things that I got to experience is that they sent me all over uh, the country and then all over the world as well to visit these new churches. Uh, sometimes in the church world, we call them church plants. And it was a great experience. I got to go uh, up to New England and all through the Northeast, but then they also sent me to India and Peru. And for those of you that have ever been to a foreign country, especially a third world one, you know that it's, it's not always the most comfortable thing, right? Like we have it pretty good here in America. That's probably why most of us live here. But I remember this specific time, uh, we were down in Peru. Uh, we were working in the city of Cusco and we were at uh, a church plant there and things were going great uh, until one of the boys on our trip got sick. And when I say got sick, like he got really sick. It was one of those things where it's, you know, coming out of the fence and uh, got extremely dehydrated. So dehydrated that the leaders and the translators of our group, they had to rush him to the hospital. And so they took him to the hospital and that left me like a uh, 22 year old at the time uh, alone with some middle school and high school students in a country that I didn't know uh, with people that I barely knew in a language I was supposed to know, Right. And it went okay uh, until we started to get hungry. And uh, we waited it out. We tried to wait as long as we could. And then I was like, okay, they're, they're not coming back. We're all alone. Uh, we need to go find something to eat. And so we left the hostel and we start walking around the city of Cusco with broken Spanish, trying to figure out where we can eat. And finally, we come to the town square and across the way, you know, like the clouds part and this ray of sunshine comes down on a KFC. And I'm like... There we go, that's where we're going. And so I was like, me and Colonel Sanders, we go way back. So we go to the KFC and sure enough, they figure out that we want chicken. It's pretty easy to order chicken. And so we get some fried chicken, we sit down and we're waiting for it to come out. It comes out and we pray and we're just starving. We're so hungry. We all just reach into the bucket. We grab a drumstick and we just take a huge bite out of the chicken. And I'm sorry to be graphic this morning, but as we do, it's just blood, okay? that it was very clear, uh, like it had not been cooked at all. They maybe put it in the deep fryer for like two and a half seconds to warm it up for us, right? And uh, as we're like scraping our tongues off and trying to like throw it in the trash, I remember thinking in that moment, like, man, I just wanna be home. <laughs> like, I just wanna go home. Have any of you guys ever had a moment like this? Yeah. Like maybe for you, it's an experience similar to mine. You're, you're in a foreign country, you're in a, an area that you're not used to and you realize you're in over your head. Uh, maybe for you, it was a deployment that you got over there and you were ready to use these skills. You were ready to be on mission and then like two or three days go by and you're like, okay, I'm tired of this. I just wanna go home. Or maybe for you, it was a trip that went just a little bit too long with the in-laws and it's okay, it happens. But why are we talking about this? Because guys, as people, we love to be comfortable. As people, we crave our comforts. As Americans, we're taught to chase after our comforts. And don't get me wrong, like I'm no different. Like it snowed a ton yesterday and I love the fact that I could park my car in the garage, go into my garage, get in my car, turn on the seat warmers and get the heat blasting and then pull out of my driveway, full princess package and everything, right? Like I'm grateful for that. But as people, we crave our comforts, don't we? And Abraham was no different, that he enjoyed being comfortable. And God calls him, hey, I need you to give some of that comfort away that he says, hey, I want to bless you, but in order to bless you, it's gonna cost you some things. 
And one of those things that's gonna cost you is your comfort. He says, hey, I want you to give up the comfort of the land that you know, the country that you know, and instead move to a foreign one. And he says, hey, I want you to give up the comfort of being close to family and instead go move far away from them. And for those of you who don't live near family, like you know how hard that can be. But then finally he says, but I also want you uh, to give up the comfort of being around people who look like you, who talk like you, who think like you, and instead go to a land where people aren't only gonna disagree with you, but most of them are gonna call you their enemy. And he calls him to give up this comfort, why? Because God wants to bless him. Because he's got something better for him that this is a huge commitment on the side of God, but it also comes with a pretty hefty cost on the side of Abram. That first God says, hey, I want you to give up your comfort, and this is how Abram responds. I love this. It says this in verse four, so Abram went. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, so Abram negotiated with God to get a better deal. It doesn't say, so Abram waited two weeks so that he could pray about it and talk to his spiritual mentor and talk to his life coach before he decided if it was a good fit. It doesn't say he waited for the door to completely open and make sure the house was sold and the job was lined up and he had the babysitter down there. No, it says, so Abram went. That's immediate obedience, that he counted the cost and he saw this commitment that God was making to him and he said, you know what, that's worth it. And so Abram went. And while I'd love to tell you like that's the only time in Abraham's life that he has to give something up, that just isn't true. That while yes, the first thing God asked him to give up his comfort, uh, the second thing that he asked him to give up is his control, his control. And so let me set this stage a little bit. Let me, let me uh, give you some context here. This first encounter that we just read about with Abraham, at that point in his life, he's about 75 years old. So he's getting up there in age, and the second uh, time that he's gonna interact with God, about 13 years have passed since then. Most scholars agree about 13 years. And so God, he's gonna remind him of this blessing he wants to give him. But this is how Abraham responds in Genesis chapter 15. He says this, "'O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son?' Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, he's gonna inherit all my wealth. And as you can see here, he's, he's almost saying, hey, uh, God, I know you're gonna bless me, but you're taking a long time, so I'm gonna take matters into my own hands. You haven't given me a son yet. You haven't come through on that, in that regard, so I'm gonna do it myself. He says, you've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. And then God responds by saying, no, (laughs) your servant will not be your heir for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars. And I love this, if you can. That's how many descendants you're gonna have. That 13 years earlier, God had taken Abram and he had said, hey, I want to bless you. I'm gonna give you this great nation. I'm gonna give you this great legacy. I'm gonna give you all these descendants that you can call your own. But let's be real for a second. Like 13 years is a pretty long time. 13 years is a long time to wait. That's 13 years of hard decisions. That's 13 years of fights with his wife. That's 13 years of trying to figure out, was God really being serious about that? Like, did that really happen? Like, is God really gonna come through for me? That's 13 years of questions and doubts and wondering what God was gonna do. And so after 13 years of those things happening, what does Abram do? 
He takes things into his own hands. He says, maybe God is waiting on me. And so we're gonna establish this, this servant as, of mine as an heir. Maybe that's what God is waiting for. And so when God says no, guess what he does? He waits about three years and then his wife comes to him and he says, hey, God said you were gonna have a son, so here's what we should do. We have this bond servant, Hagar. You should go get her pregnant and then that'll be your son and that's how God is gonna bless you. And so that's what he does. And then he brings him to God and he brings Ishmael to God, the son, and he says, is this what you meant? And God says, no, I'm gonna give you and Sarah a son of your own that he's having trouble releasing control over to God. He keeps taking matters into his own control. But like, I get it, right? Like I've had many of these moments in my own life where God like cracks a door open and I'm like, oh, that's where he wants me to go. And then I get impatient. And so what do you, I kick the door open and I walk through it. And then I'm like, oh shoot, I only had like half the picture, right? I didn't have a good perspective on all of this that it kind of felt like I was looking at my life through a straw. Anybody else? The rest of you are liars. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but it kind of reminds me of this illustration uh, that I found this last week of, it's called a U-2 spy plane, okay? U-2 spy plane. For those of you who haven't seen one, this is what it looks like. I think it looks pretty cool. Um, but these planes, these aircrafts, they were designed for a very specific purpose, uh, that they were designed to fly at really, really high elevations, somewhere between 70 and 80,000 feet. And they were made to operate on minimal fuel, all while remaining uh, you know, unseen. And so uh, the way they designed these is they gave them this huge wingspan so that they could, they could save on fuel and remain steady at high altitudes. And so the wingspan's like over 100 feet. They're huge planes. But what's funny about these is that they were designed to take uh, clear pictures and clear videos and do reconnaissance from almost any angle. So they have almost an unlimited field of view when it comes to gathering intel. But for the pilot in the cockpit, it's the exact opposite. That, that their field of view is terrible. It's so bad, in fact, that if they were to try and land one of these aircrafts uh, on their own, they would probably crash and burn it. Um, and so what they decided to do instead is they put another pilot in a car, like this one, and the pilot drives as fast as they can behind the aircraft, and they radio back and forth all the information that the pilot in the plane needs to know to land the plane. So they say, hey, here's the altitude. Hey, you're coming in hot. Hey, you need to level out, all these different things. And I can just imagine like the first man or woman to like volunteer to drive in this car was probably a redneck like me, right? Like I could just imagine this scene where there's this huge table and all these important people around it trying to figure out how do we solve this problem? And you've got engineers and you've got airmen and you've got all these important people. And then there's like a dude in the corner that wasn't supposed to be there and he's watching NASCAR on his phone and he's like, oh, I got, I got an idea. And they went with that idea because they couldn't think of something better, right? But the reason this works is because the pilot in the car, he has a better view than the pilot in the plane, that he's able to see what's going on. And what I've learned is that when it comes to us and God, oftentimes the same is true, that God often has a better view on things, not often, God always has a better view on things than we do, that when we try to do life by ourselves, oftentimes we crash and we burn on the runway. But whenever we do our lives with God, we arrive at our destination as intended. That the pilot in the car has a much better view than the pilot in the plane. And the same is true with Abraham. That, that he couldn't see all that God wanted to do. 
He couldn't see where God was taking him. He couldn't see how he would fulfill this commitment, this promise that God had made him. He couldn't see all of that. And so he had some trouble giving over control to God. But God says, look, that's the very thing that I need from you. I need you to give up control and allow me to fly this thing, which is exactly what he does. Now, while yes, he made some mistakes here and there, in Genesis 15, it says this, and Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous. That's a really important term in, in, the, in the Bible because of his faith, that Abram eventually released control to God, and sure enough, God, he blessed him because of it. That's some 12 years later, eventually at the ripe old age of 100 years old, Abraham and Sarah, they have a son, and they name him Isaac, and Isaac becomes that, famil- or that fulfillment to the promise, that blessing that God uh, said to Abraham some you know, 35 years earlier. And God stayed true to his commitment, but it came with a cost for Abraham. That first God said, hey, I need you to give up your comfort. Second, God said, I need you to give up your control. But the third thing God asked him to give up might surprise you a little bit because the third thing God tells him to give up is his kid. And at first glance, you're like, whoa, like I didn't know there was child sacrifice in scripture, right? And even for someone, I've been around church my whole life. Every time I read this story, it kind of throws me for a loop a little bit. The Genesis 22, it says this, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. There can be no confusion there, right? Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. And so God calls Abraham not only to give up his comfort, not only to give up his control, but to give up the thing that mattered most to him in his life and the thing that he'd waited for for so long, and that was his his kid. And guys, I, I can't imagine that. Like as many of you guys know, uh, I recently became a dad and uh, I'm really excited. And this is my son, Jameson. I feel like it's my responsibility as a dad to show you cute pictures of my kid. So uh, that's my son, Jameson. And we've had a blast raising him. Uh, It's been a ton of fun. We get tons of sleep. It hasn't affected our marriage at all. Uh, We don't fight. No, I'm kidding. That's that's a joke. Uh, But we've had a blast. But before I became a dad, I remember people would tell me the craziest things about how much I was going to love that boy. Uh, even before he was born. And I remember uh, those times I just kind of write them off as like hopeless romantics. And I was like, yeah, we'll see, you know, uh, we'll see what happens. But they would say the craziest things. They would say things like, man, uh, Josiah, like I love my kids so much that, it, that if my kid came to me and they said, dad, I really screwed up. I really messed up. I accidentally murdered somebody. And I'm like, how do you accidentally do? Okay. Uh, and they're like, what I would, I, I love my kids so much. I'd go grab the shovel and I'd help them dig the hole and cover up the murder. And I'm like, one, I doubt it. Uh, but two, why am I talking to you? <laughs> like you would, you'd cover up a murder. That's crazy. But now that I've had a kid, I'm like, forget covering up the murder. Like somebody bumped his stroller weird in Shields the other day and I almost took care of him like right then, right? <laughs> but it's crazy. It blows my mind how much I love that boy. And he's only eight weeks old. And I'll be really honest. He doesn't do anything, right? Like he eats, poops, sleeps, and cries and, and drives us crazy sometimes. But if God were to ask me at eight weeks old, hey, Josiah, I need you to give up your son. I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could do it. That for Abraham, God took the thing that he cared about most in his life. And he said, yeah, I want that thing. I need you to give that up. 
And oftentimes the story gets depicted as like Abraham, you know, leading this like five or six year old up this mountain uh, where, where he was gonna sacrifice him. But in reality, according to good scholarship, it's more likely that he probably would have been closer to 16 years old, that he had time to develop a relationship with his father, that he was getting ready to enter manhood. In that culture, he was a man by their standards. And we see all these crazy details as he leads, Abraham leads his son Isaac to this mountain uh, that it says that, that Abraham actually put the wood that he was gonna use for the altar on the back of Isaac and made him carry it up the mountain. And they get to the, as they're walking up the mountain, like Isaac, he starts to put some of these pieces together. And he says this in verse six, or verse seven. He says, uh, it says, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering that he's putting things together? And I love Abraham's response. He says, God will provide. God will provide. Like the amount of faith that would have taken is either amazing or it's just flat out crazy. But I want you to picture this scene because Isaac and his father Abraham, they make it to the top of this mountain. And when they get to the top of this mountain, they're setting up the altar and they take the wood off of Isaac's back and they begin preparing this fire. And there's this small detail in the story that says that Abraham had to tie his son up. Like it's hard enough to put a a diaper on a newborn, but imagine, imagine trying to restrain your 16-year-old son, all while whispering in his ear, son, it's gonna be okay. Son, I just need you to trust me. Man, it's gonna be okay. And he ties him up and he places him on this altar. And I can just see tears running down his face as he lifts the knife, praying to himself, God, please let there be another way. And right before he takes the life of his son, says the angel of the Lord appears. And if you want some fun homework this week, go look up that phrase, angel of the Lord. Uh, You can find some pretty interesting stuff about that. But it says the angel of the Lord appears and says, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. You can almost hear the desperation in his voice. And he says, don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him in any way. For, I know, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. And once again, we see the faithfulness of Abraham that even when it was the thing that mattered most to him in life, even when it was his own kid, he didn't put his faith in his comfort. He didn't put his faith in his own control. He put his faith in this commitment that God had made to him some 35 years earlier. And because of that, God, he blesses him and God uses him to eventually start the lineage with Abraham and Isaac that would eventually lead to a man named Jesus who would go to a cross and who would die for the sins of the world and begin to make things right again. One of the interesting things about this story is that there's only two places in all of scripture, two places in all of scripture where a live offering is placed on an altar. This is the first one. You wanna know the second one? when Jesus is placed on a cross, that God is using this story. He is using Abraham and Isaac to show the world, even show us today, thousands of years later, how he was going to redeem the world. And guys, we can look at this story and we can think to ourselves, like, that's great. That's a really cool story, Josiah. Uh, That's great for Abraham. I'm glad he was able to give all those things up. What does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with my life? 
And I think for so many of us in this room, uh, we want what Abraham had. We want the blessing, right? We want that commitment from God. We want God to work in our lives. We want God to move radically in our lives. We want God to use us for bigger and greater and stronger purposes in our lives. That for many of us in this room, even for some of us in here who aren't followers of Jesus, many of us have hit a point of desperation in our lives where we drop to our knees and we say, God, I just need you to show up. I just want you to be real in my life. God, I need you to show up in my finances because I'm having a hard time making ends meet right now. Or God, I need you to show up in my marriage. I feel like I don't even know the person I married anymore. Can you help me get my husband? Can you help me get my wife back to church? God, I'm tired of being single. I just want the right man. I just want the right woman in my life. I'm tired of watching all these couples. They seem so happy. And speaking of happiness, God, I just wanna be happy again that I've been so depressed lately. I need you to show up in my life, God. God, I have this addiction that I've worked so hard to eliminate in my life and I've tried everything that I possibly can, but I can't seem to put down the bottle, to put down the pills, to put down the porn because I have these wounds in my life. God, I just want you to show up. Are you really real? Because I can't hear you. That guys, we want the blessing. We want that commitment from God. But so few of us are really willing to consider the cost. So few of us are willing to consider what God is asking us to give up. That we want God to move powerfully in our lives. But if we do, listen, we might have to give up a few things. That for some of us, we might have to give up some comforts. We might have to stop chasing the bigger house, the better car, the, the bigger, brighter, new thing, right? To turn and run away from materialism because it's not of God. That we might have to give up uh, trying to create this perfect bubble where everything is good and everything is comfortable and we don't face any hardship. That maybe we need to stop asking our parents to move here and instead learn to be on mission where we are at. That for some of us in this room, maybe we need to intentionally get uncomfortable. We need to sign up for a mission trip, a go trip, go down to the Dominican Republic and see the world how God sees it every single day. I promise you, you'll be uncomfortable. I promise you. That maybe some of us need to give up some comfort this morning. Or maybe for some of us in this room, we need to give up some control. If I'm being transparent with you this morning, this is the one for me. I've been processing through all week. That guys, so many of us, we live our lives with our hands like this. And we cling so desperately to the illusion of control that we think we have everything in our lives under control. But in reality, there is such a small number of things that we actually control in our lives. But we live this way with our time. We live this way with our monies. We, we, we live this way with the things that God has blessed us with. And this is what I know after years of experience, God can't bless closed hands. He can't. That God is calling us to live our lives like this. To say, God, my time, my talents, my treasures, they're all yours. Use me how you want. That some of you have been doing life alone for so long now and you've tried everything in your power to get it right and everything just seems to be going wrong. That maybe this morning you need to give control over to God, surrender your life to Jesus and make the best decision you possibly can in your life and watch him bless you. 
For others of us in this room, maybe you know, it's not comfort, maybe it's not our control, maybe it's our kid. And I don't mean your physical kid, don't like drop them off at the nearest fire station or anything like that. But what I mean is, what is the thing that matters most to you in your life? What is the thing that if God asked you to give it up, you'd probably turn and walk the other way? Like for some of you, it's a career. You've worked really hard to get where you're at. And you've poured your life into this thing and you've poured blood, sweat, tears, everything that you possibly can uh, into your career and it makes you feel good. And you love the paycheck. But listen, you're broke on purpose. Broke on purpose. Maybe God's asking you to give that up. Or maybe for you it is chasing a relationship that you just want so desperately to be married. You just want so desperately to have somebody to take care of you, uh, to, to love you, to treat you as you deserve to be treated. But maybe right now God is saying to you, all you need right now is me. Let's get that right first. Or maybe for you it is an addiction. It is that thing that you just can't shake, that even right now you're self-justifying and you're saying, ah, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Maybe God is asking you to give some of these things up. Listen, I don't know what he's calling you to give up today. But what I do know is this, we have a good father. We have a father that loves to give good gifts. We have a father that wants to bless you and not with the material blessings, but things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Who doesn't need more of those things in their life, right? But maybe if we need to want to receive that blessing, if we want to receive that commitment from God that he's given to us, that we can have that if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit, maybe if we want to receive that, we might have to give up a few things. And so I would encourage you guys to consider that question this week as you drive home, as you're talking with your spouse or maybe even in your story group. What is God calling you to give up today? What is God calling you to give up today? Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. And thank you for the story of Abraham. God, thank you for the blessing that you did give to him. That you brought about your son Jesus through that broken story. And that reminds me, God, that you can bring about Jesus through my broken story. And so God, I ask that you would just be abundantly clear in this moment. What is it you're calling us to give up? And that we would have the courage, God, we'd have the boldness to give those things up so that we can have something better. God, we love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.